Jesus said, the greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself, he's always climbing the ladder, always wants the top box, he always wants the leadership position. Whoever exalts himself, Jesus said, that's the guy that will be humbled. But the one who humbles himself, Jesus said, that's the guy that gets exalted and elevated to the place of leadership. Welcome to Resonate with Trent Griffith, Senior Pastor of Harvest Bible Chapel in Granger, Indiana. I'm Aaron Paulus. We continue today with part two of the message, Onward Leadership, in the new series from Pastor Trent Griffith called Onward, Don't Stop Now. We learned last week that God uses godly leaders to move His people onward and prepares the next generation for leadership. So join me now as Pastor Trent returns to the book of Joshua and demonstrates from the life of Joshua what it means to be a great follower. Here's Pastor Trent. What do you think Joshua saw in Moses that created the kind of contentment it takes to be an assistant for 40 years? I believe that Joshua saw greatness in Moses. That's what a great follower does. He finds someone in whom he sees greatness. Are you content to be the assistant of a great leader? Have you found someone that you believe has greatness and you've tucked yourself under their leadership? Another thing that it takes is patience. Incredible patience to wait and end in understanding that in the waiting, God is preparing another leader. Another thing it takes is it takes incredible humility to say, you know what? I am in a position that God has appointed me to, and I'm not going to pursue a position. What I'm going to do is I'm going to value influence. Do you understand the difference between a position of leadership and a position of influence? It's usually just a line on the organizational chart, but it's very possible that the assistant has more influence than the guy that has the position. You know, in the church, and as I've grown in leadership and tried to figure out how to lead this growing church, I've learned some things and I'm burdened by some things as it relates to leadership. Can I just share two um, leadership principles that that are interesting, and I'll set it up with this verse um, and, and this thought. We've, we've looked at Joshua, how God called Joshua into a position of leadership. Moses is dead, arise and go. That's a call, right? But before God called Joshua, the follower, God told Moses, the leader. We read that back in Deuteronomy chapter 3. And that's a principle you find in Scripture over and over. Before Jesus chose his disciples, not only his followers that would become the leaders of the church, Jesus spent an entire night in prayer asking God to show him who to choose as the leaders. So before Jesus called the disciples, God told the leader who the disciples would be. And then we get over to Acts chapter 13. The gospel had arrived in a new city called Antioch. Finally got out of Jerusalem, and there was a church planted in this place called Antioch, and and new leaders were raised. 
And uh, we get a little snapshot of a leadership meeting that happened at Harvest Bible Chapel Antioch here in Acts chapter 13. Notice what it says. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers. Who were they? That's the leaders, right? This is a leadership meeting, prophets and teachers. And we get a little roll call of who's at the meeting. We got Barnabas, we got Simeon, who was also called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Manan, a lifelong friend of of Herod, the Tetrarch, and this unnamed guy named Saul. And uh, so here you have these five leaders. Notice how eclectic this group is, by the way. Notice how multicultural this group is, by the way. There were many different colors in the room for that leadership team. And they're having a great time. They're rejoicing in how God's growing his church. And guess what happens? God speaks while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting. I don't know what that says about our elder meetings. Usually in our elder meetings, we're talking and eating. Okay. And so in their elder meetings, they were worshiping and fasting. Maybe that's a better track than the one we've been on. But it says, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me that guy, Barnabas, and that guy, Saul, for the work to which I have called them. Now, I want you to notice the relationship between the call and the confirmation. The next verse says this. After fasting and praying, they laid hands on them and sent them off. This is the, way, this is the reason I say that. Because the one who insists that he has the call of God on his life and he's pounding the table and he's begging for a leadership position and you guys are idiots and you don't know what you're talking about. You need to elevate me into leadership. I'm so awesome. You just haven't seen my awesome leaking out yet. If that guy is unwilling to go to the current leadership and say, does anybody agree with me that I have a call, that I am qualified, that I am equipped and that I'm ready to make the transition from follower assistant into the role of leader, if nobody agrees with that guy, he may think he has a call, but if he doesn't have the confirmation from the current leaders, he needs to rethink the call. So here's, here's the two challenges in leadership, especially around here. It's this, it's dealing with the one who desires a position of leadership, but isn't qualified, gifted, or equipped. It's a good thing to examine, are you leading at any level? Is anybody following you? Are you leading your family? Is it healthy? Are you making disciples at home? Have you even attempted to lead someone to Christ or disciple someone one-on-one? -on -one? Have you attempted leading a small group? That's hard enough, and all the small group leaders said, that's hard enough, and you want to try that for a while. And instead of like bypassing all of the other positions and going to the head of the line, you might want to learn how to become a faithful follower and get equipped and qualified before you attempt to lead at the highest level. So you say, okay, okay, I, I want to learn. How do you become a great follower? Hey, let me give you some thoughts, just five quick thoughts if you want to become a great follower. And by the way, I was reading a blog this week by Michael Hyatt, and I was preparing this message, and I'm like, oh, but that is perfect. And so I just ripped those right out and stuck them in the sermon. So here they are. Michael Hyatt says, great followers are clear. Clear about what? They're clear about their role. 
They're clear about their skill set and they're clear who they are following. You know, um, I rarely meet people that are kind of in our church and then kind of out of our church. And then they'll say, well, I was going to this church over here for a while. And by the way, I subscribed to three other podcasts and I heard this guy preach over here, that message and this one here. And I was reading this particular book. There is so much information available in our age. You need to be clear who you're following. If you're following everyone and everything, you are not following anyone. You're just picking and choosing what you like, and you're being your own leader. You're a self-led person. But if you plug into things around here, we have some things that are very important. They're convictional principles about the way we think we should make disciples. And so that's why we value membership. We want you to come and find out how we do things. And here's a doctrinal statement. And we believe this about some controversial things. And here's four pillars of what we're going to value around here. And here's uh, an uncommon leadership class about how we make disciples and, and apply biblical principles. Those are convictional things for us. And if you are not clear about where you fit in the onward direction of the church, you're not going to be clear about who you're following. Can, can I make this? L- let me use an illustration. Okay, now, this is a risky illustration. I'm, I may lose all respect from everyone but one friend down here on the front row. Here it is, okay? I am a NASCAR fan. Am I the only one? Closet NASCAR fans out there? Okay. Some of, you, some of you are like, yeah, I tune in to see the crashes. That's right. You're not a NASCAR fan, okay? If you don't endure all 1,000 turns to the left in the race, if you've never done that, you're not a NASCAR fan, okay? So let, let me tell you the secret to NASCAR. Now, there, there, there are two tracks that are unlike all the other tracks on the circuit. Daytona and Talladega. They're the biggest tracks, they're the fastest tracks, and the cars... Um, have to race in a particular way that's different than any other track, okay? It is, the only way you can win the race is if you understand the principle of drafting. Do you understand? You see, the way it works is the lead car cuts a hole in the wind and the cars behind him can draft if they get as close as they can to his back bumper and are content to wait patiently following until the strategic moment when the car in second place pulls out, slingshots past the leader, and wins the race. All right? Now, in theory, that works. The problem is most of these guys are not patient enough to follow. And so they start bumping the leader. And if you bump the leader in a bad moment, this is what can occur, okay? This is what most churches look like, okay? By God's grace, we are not going to be that church, okay? And if we are going to win, if we're all going to go onward together, then we need some good leaders and we need some great followers. And the the thing is, is if you're a follower, understand this. The leaders get old and slow down. And that's your moment 
to take the leadership that's handed off to you because great leaders are always looking to multiply themselves in other great leaders. Be clear who you're following and what your role is and serve in that role. Secondly, great followers are obedient. Not a politically correct word, but listen, it's not enough to affirm your boss. It's not enough just to compliment your boss. It's not enough just to talk great about your boss. If you're not doing what you're told to do, you're not a great follower. And nobody should be able to give orders who has not learned to follow orders. So be obedient. Do what you're told to do when you're told to do it with the right heart attitude and you'll be a great follower. Thirdly, great followers are servants. You know what servants do? They do the jobs that nobody else wants to do. Servants do the jobs that nobody else even sees need to be done. They do the jobs that won't get recognition or praise or gratefulness. They just do them because they are looking for a way to make the leader a success. They shine the light on others around them and above them because great leaders are humble. Jesus said, the greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself, he's always climbing the ladder, always wants the top box, he always wants the leadership position. Whoever exalts himself, Jesus said, that's the guy that will be humbled. But the one who humbles himself, Jesus said, that's the guy that gets exalted and elevated to the place of leadership. And finally, great leaders, great followers are loyal. They never speak negatively about their boss publicly. It doesn't mean they always agree a great follower is a raving fan publicly and an honest critic privately because he understands I need to make my leader a success. If I am quiet right now, there's a huge hole right now that needs to be addressed. My leader doesn't see it. I'm going to come around and help him see things he can't see. That's what a loyal follower does. Now, I told you there's two challenges here. Here's the second challenge, especially in our church. And this is Quite honestly, this is our problem. If we have a problem, this is it. It's dealing with the one who's qualified, gifted, and equipped, but won't lead. There are so many qualified, awesome people here who should be in positions of leadership, but you won't lead. And the reason is probably because you're too busy leading trivial things. You don't have any time left over from your softball team, your canasta group, your dog training small group. I don't know. But do you understand that the church needs great leaders? And we can't be content to sit back and say, well, you know, I think we have like five pastors. Yeah, how many people do you have in church? Today? Like 1,500? Yeah, they're going to do a great job leading those people. You know, but we have positions of leadership that are available. And some of you are waiting for something that's like the right fit or something. Listen, just step into a leadership role when you hear about it and lead. And God will put you in the right place. Here's the third thing. We're running out of time. We're going to take two quick snapshots of the backstory of Joshua and we'll be done. 
First of all, onward leaders find courage for the battle. Open your Bible to Exodus chapter 17. We are blazing through this story in about two seconds, okay? Pastorally speaking. Exodus 17, let me tell you what's happening. Moses is the leader, Joshua is his assistant, and the nation of Israel comes under attack from a foreign enemy. They're enemies of God's people, they're enemies of God, and in Exodus 17, beginning in verse 8, we find that Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rehidim. So Moses said to Joshua, love this, choose for us men. I I know that's the way he said it. I just know. And I think he was looking for men with facial hair. I just do. All right. Not, not guys that, you know, hadn't, it hadn't quite grown in yet, but men. He didn't choose boys. He chose some men. Choose some men. Second assignment, go out and fight with Amalek. Okay. All right. I'm, I'm ready to do that. Moses, I'm your assistant. I'm, I'm loyal. I'm faithful. What are you going to be doing? I'm going to stand on top of the hill way over there. And I'm going to be praying for you. Have you ever had somebody say that to you? You're going through a really spiritual battle and it's like, man, I'm just getting crushed. I'm just getting, I'm just getting killed by the spiritual battle. It's like, I'll pray for you. Thanks. Can you imagine Joshua? Now, if I was Joshua, this is probably what I would have said in a very sarcastic tone. Hey, Moses, I've got a new battle plan. How about you go fight Amalek and I'll go pray for you? But that's not what Joshua said. He was loyal and he was faithful. I want you to notice, first of all, Joshua did not go out looking for a fight. Christians don't go out looking for fights. If you are a Christian, do not be surprised when the fight comes looking for you. And God allows it. Because do you know what God does in the battle? He prepares the leader. There were three things that God was doing as Joshua went out to fight that battle against Amalek. He was testing his strength. He was forging his courage. And he was growing his confidence for future battles. We're, we're going to get into the book of Joshua. And do you know what the book of Joshua is all about? It is all about battle after battle after battle. This battle with Amalek was the first battle And he needed the battle to prepare him for future battles. If you're in a battle right now, don't despise the battle. Understand God is preparing you for battles to come in the future. And you can rely upon God in the battle. Look at verse 10. So Joshua did as Moses told him. Obedience. He did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek while Moses... Aaron and her went up to the top of the hill. So we got a team. We got a leader, Moses, and we got three assistants. We got Joshua, who's in the battle, and you got Aaron and her who are standing next to Moses. Then look at verse 11. Whenever Moses held up his hands, Israel prevailed, and whatever he lowered his hands, Amalek prevailed. Can you imagine Joshua down there? I mean, at times he's winning the battle, and the other times he's getting crushed, and he looks up there like, Moses, get your hands up! need a little help, okay? And so he tries harder in verse 12. It says, Moses' hands grew weary because he was getting old. So they took a stone and put it under him and he sat on it and Aaron and her held up his hands. That is a great description of great followers. 
they hold up the hands of weary leaders and they get beside them and they get close enough to know, how can we lift up your hands? It says one on one side, one on the other. So his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And verse 13, and Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. What do you think the message was to Joshua? Every time you're fighting and Moses' hands are down, you're losing. But when you're fighting and Moses' hands are up as he's praying and getting vertical, you win. What's the, what's the message? The battle belongs to the Lord. If you try to fight in your own strength, you're going to lose every time. Onward leaders find courage for the battle and they understand that the battle is won vertically. Here's the last snapshot and we'll be done. Get your Bible open to Exodus 33. As you're turning there, I will remind you the very first sermon that was ever preached in this church on February the 8th, 2009 was preached from this text of Scripture, Exodus 33. The very first sermon that was ever preached in this room on February 12th, 2012 was preached from this text. This is an important text for Harvest Bible Chapel. I want you to see it. Here's the fourth point. Onward leaders will not go onward without the presence of God. They refuse to take a step where God is not going. Look at verse 1, Exodus 33, the Lord said to Moses, depart, go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt to the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will send an angel before you. How many of you would like an angel? He's like, sign me up for that program. I'll take two. Um, I am in a spiritual battle. I would like two angels to go with me. Be interested in that? Great. So that's a, that's a perk. He says, an I will send my angel before you and I will drive out the Canaanites. How many of you would like God to start driving out some of your spiritual enemies? Like that program? Right? Great, great. Verse 3, go up to a land flowing with milk and honey. How many of you would like some Krispy Kreme donuts on the way? Okay. <laughs> like, man, this is awesome. There are perks to following God. But, verse 3, I will not go among you. Really, God, you're not going to come? Hmm. We can have your promise, we can have your protection, and we can have your provision, but you're not going to go? Hmm. That three out of four is not bad. We'd like to have you, but that's kind of an accessory. I guess we can make it with your provision, your protection, and your pr promise. Is that what Moses said? No. Moses said, stop. We are not going. Look at verse 15. Moses went into the tent to have a conversation with God, and he said to him, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. I'm not going onward without you. Verse 18, Moses said, please show me your glory. The glory of God was the manifest presence of God. It was the only way they could be assured of victory to know that it was not about some horizontal experience, enjoying the amenities of the land flowing with milk and honey, but it was about being with God on the journey in the land with Him. And Moses said, show me your glory. That's what I want. I'm not interested in a land that's not occupied by you. And finally, 
You say, what does this have to do with Joshua? Look back up at verse 11. Thus the Lord used to speak with Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. Do you see the intimate relationship that this great leader had with God? And then when Moses turned again, left the tent, went into the camp, notice his assistant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. Joshua had the same appetite for the presence of God that Moses did. He had gotten so close to the leader that he had absorbed his values, his mission, his love, and his desperation for the presence of God. Joshua was in there probably praying the same prayer. Show me your glory. Moses saw it. I want to see it the way you see it. Show me your glory. Are you content to live without the presence of God? Enjoying his, presence, enjoying his promise and His provision and His protection. Don't be content to live without the glory. Would you bow your heads for a moment? I want to give you just a second just to ask the Lord to answer the same prayer that Moses prayed. Would you ask God to restore His presence, His glory, in your marriage, in your prayer life, whatever spiritual battle you're facing. Leadership is good, but leadership is not God. Jesus Christ perfectly embodied servanthood as a follower, obediently obeying, obediently following every command God gave. He's our model. But He's also the model of leadership. He is our ultimate leader. He is our Lord. Is He your Lord this morning? Have you made the choice who you're following? Is it clear? you following Jesus Christ. Some of you need to come and say, you know what? For the first time in my life, I'm ready to make it public. I am ready to go on record. I am a follower of Jesus Christ. You'll never be the leader God wants you to be if you don't become the follower He wants you to be of Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would be glorified in our midst and even as we close the service today. God, hear the heart's cry of people that are in the midst of the battle. Remind them that you are building courage you're testing strength and you're preparing them for the battle to come. God, would you shake someone out of a following position into a leadership position that needs to be strong and courageous? Would you help us to value what it means to be a great follower? Show us your glory as you do. In Jesus' name. Moses, desperate for God's presence, prayed to the Lord saying, show me your glory. Pastor Trent Griffith challenged us today not to be content without the presence of God, but to invite him into every part of our lives, just as Moses did. Well, at Harvest Bible Chapel, we too are desperate to see God's glory. And that's what it means to be a vertical church. 
As we keep God's glory at the center of all we do, we invite His manifest presence among us and see lives changed in the process. Well, if you're looking for a church like this, we invite you to check out Harvest. Join us this weekend at one of our two campuses in Granger, Indiana, or St. Joseph, Michigan. Service times and campus locations are on our website, harvestgranger.org. And if you're a Resonate listener in Elkhart County, longing for a vertical church in your own community, we love to hear from you. Just fill out the form at harvestgranger.org slash Elkhart, and we'll keep you posted as we explore the possibility of an extension campus near you. Well, I'm Aaron Paulus. Thanks for joining us today. And I hope that God's word will resonate in your heart and mind this week. Resonate is a radio ministry of Harvest Bible Chapel, Granger. Visit us online at harvestgranger.org.